Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, welcome back to Paris for the penultimate time this French Open fortnight. And welcome to Roland Garros, the corner of Philippe Chatrier Stadium on a balmy evening in the French capital. And actually, slightly rainy evening. You find myself, David and Matt, huddled underneath a parasol, scrambling for, for wet weather wear, which is not something we've needed at all over the course of this fortnight. The men's doubles final is currently being played under the Philippe Chatrier roof. Luckily, the women's singles final, long and gruelling and thrilling as it was, was able to be completed before the rain came, without the roof being closed, and it saw Igor Svantec become a three-time French Open champion, a four-time major winner, and defend a Grand Slam title for the first time in her career. It was... It was a thrilling final, David. Yeah, and actually my first thought, I commentated on the second set, which was the two ends of the spectrum in terms of how you feel about a tennis match, and and it was sombre at three love. And that's not to be biased towards Karolina Mukova at all. It's just we wanted a contest, and it wasn't one. And then and suddenly... And you predicted a Mukova in three victory. Yes, uh-huh. <laughs> which I promptly rode back from after we finished recording but anyway um, but I mean we'll get onto the details of that my first thought upon it finishing was Catherine gets what, what she's always wanted it, it, that went through my head you're always saying I want to see Igor Svantec in a third set in a big Grand Slam match a final I always think of Matt's stats about eager in finals generally and what she's done here in Grand Slam finals at Roland Garros. I mean, she'd lost four and five games respectively in her two finals and here she was losing two at 6-2-3 love. And, you know, it just felt the same old, same old and good luck to her, but it became what we all hoped it would become in the end. Yeah, and what we saw in that third set, I felt not to toot my own horn, but really proved the concept of wanting to see Igor Svantec in a third set battle 
on the biggest stage because it was compelling and I feel like it was a site that we were missing from the Iga Shiontek portfolio. It did mm. like feel like seeing something new from her, Matt. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And gosh, did she, gosh, did she pass the test? I mean, the way she she stepped up in those latter stages, I'm sure we'll talk about in more detail, but it was incredibly impressive and I loved seeing it. And honestly, this this final actually, in a in a bit of a weird way, perhaps, reminded me of the Medvedev Nadal US Open final of 2019, which was a bit of a snooze really to start with and then suddenly it became a classic I think I, I felt like the final stages of this of this match were thrilling you know the momentum was going back and forth there were breaks and it just it was completely the opposite ends of the spectrum as you said David a slightly awkward feeling midway through that second set to well I don't want this to end this is absolutely brilliant and it's 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 even more incredible, I think, that that switch happened over the best of three sets, over the best of rather than the best of five. It was, it was an incredible turnaround. And honestly, I didn't really know how to feel at six-two-three, love, because I thought this would be a closer match than that. And then I found myself at, at that scoreline thinking, "Oh well, it's, this is what Igor Swiatek does." I don't know why I did feel like this was going to be closer, but then Mukova showed us why we all felt like this this would be a good match and it was it was a treat it was it was a really really great final and interestingly from Carolina Mukova's press conference afterwards it sounds like that's what she was thinking at 6-2-3 love as well this is what Iga Shontek does I don't think it was your classic story of a first time Grand Slam finalist kind of struggling with the big stage so struggling to settle the nerves I think that slow heartbeat David as you described it you know was was in action today she said I didn't feel that nervous I was pretty comfortable how interesting was that it's so interesting she just said this is what Iga does you know she's so comfortable playing her best tennis in the biggest matches and just coming out firing from the word go she makes strong starts to matches and I guess that helped her not to panic the lack of panic when playing the biggest matches a match where Let's be honest, we've been nerdy about Karolina Mukova for a long time. A lot of people paying attention to this tennis match today won't have heard of her before today. All they will know about Karolina Mukova is that match. And there was a point, a 6-2-3 love, where all they knew about her was that she was barely in it. You know, not playing well, not showing any of the glorious stuff that she can do apart from the odd glimpse. And yet somehow she managed not to panic and so many would so many great players great players would panic in that situation because they are playing best of three sets I'm always talking about this in Grand Slam finals it's just so unfair to the occasion it's unfair unfair to the women involved in it that they don't have the same time to get over those nerves as the men do massive credit to Karolina Mukha for, for having it within her to still even against this player, even against Eager, who's that ruthless and that relentless and that brilliant, she still managed to find a way. I mean, in her press comments, I, I, I found the way she talked about her own slice backhand as something that doesn't pay off immediately, that it actually takes quite a while 
for that to start to upset the rhythm of an opponent. That was such good insight, wasn't yeah. it? Because Matt and I were I de- debating that. the Mook of a Slice a lot in that first mm. set because it wasn't drawing dividends at all in the first set. And Matt was saying, put the slice backhand away, Carolina. And I was thinking the same. And we were trying to think about, you know, whether Ash Barty's slice whether it's about the quality of the slice that it's just not up to it against the quality of Svantec's ground strokes I found that incredible insight from from Mukova on what we were debating that yeah completely agree those those first few stages made me think of a of a men's player with a slice backhand slicing to Rafael Nadal's forehand yeah and Igor Svantec was not having any problems at all in in the first few moments of this match dealing with the mook of a slice she was not necessarily hitting them for winners but just in control of the point whenever Mukova went to that shot and I think what Mukova ended up doing with that slice was putting it in better positions in the court like I felt like she started using the short slice and she started trying to move Svantec around with it rather than just feeding Sviontek with it and I think that combined with and this again this is Mukova's words really upping her aggression which she did in that second set I think those two things in in tandem brought her back into this match she yeah she was a set in a breakdown and, and she got the break back with an incredible forehand down the line Ugh. and that her down the line shots was, are a revelation yeah I didn't realise she had such a good backhand down the line I think I knew about her forehand but her backhand's really caught me out this tournament as it has lots of opponents I think and I love seeing just the combinations that's the word that always comes to mind with Mukova she can she can put lots of different shots together in the same rally it can be a, it can be a short slice and then she'll come in and knock off a volley or it can be a big big forehand and then come in and knock off a volley it's always it's very rarely one shot that does the damage it's always two or three together and I think she does that almost better than anyone and she just grew and grew into this match and suddenly it was like wow she really does have the game to her ego fiance I find my I found myself in my mind saying the sorts of bits of analysis that we used to say about Ash Barty she's always thinking several shots ahead that insight about the use of the slice backhand David was sort of that but in the macro sense like I'm thinking several games or maybe even sets ahead like Mm. okay it's not paying off now but this is a long-term strategy and that is look her slice isn't as good as Barty's or Barty's what how many slices did Barty say she had in her autobiography four six certainly several (laughs) um but it's it, it it was a we can imagine, can't we? And maybe this is an overactive, desperate imagination. But that match that we saw today might be a little like what the Svantec Barty rivalry that never was, that we hanker for in our yeah, in s- our sleepless nights might have looked like. I said the same in commentary. It's the closest thing we would we will get to what that would have been, assuming Ash Barty doesn't make a comeback. This is a match that can give us an idea. And there may be some Ash Barty fans thinking, no, nah, no, nah, Barty's better than Mukova. Well, maybe she is. We'll, we will find out how good Mukova is if she can stay fit the next few years. I think she's sensationally good. And actually, I think clay court tennis, even though Mukova said in a press conference that she, she never thought this would happen to her on this surface, she thought, you know, I like the, the faster surfaces. I'm glad it's happened here because I feel like I've got to know her game because of clay. 
you get time to see what they've got and she's got a lot um oh i loved it i loved i loved everything about it i loved the way Igor Sviantek was forced to regroup you know suddenly she's not 6-2-3 like that things are going against her she's lost the second set I mean that was 7-5 I was commentating on that set and it was really nip, nip and tuck Sviantek could have won that in straight sets by the time I've got downstairs it's Sviantek's love two down she lost 10 points in a row there Sviantek the last two of the second set the first eight of the third set she was a train off the tracks right yeah not making first serves just a serve three times in a row and then and then she had to regroup again because she got she got the break back in in the third set and then Mukova broke again 4-3 to go 4-3 up and so not only did we see Igor Svantec in in a third set battle we we sort of saw it twice in the same match Mm. because she had to she had to go again and the way she found her forehand in those final stages was incredible. I mean, that is maybe the best shot in the world. And she found it exactly when she needed it. And she found her first serve when she needed it as well. That was yeah. that was a big thing for both players. Mukova yeah. didn't find her serve when she was up a break. And Sviantek found her serve to sort of steady herself. If I had to pinpoint one difference maker in those latter stages and of course this is far too simplistic and reductive but I would say first serve Mukova couldn't find hers when she needed it most and Sviantek did and of course that comes down to experience and mentality you know it's not just plucking a first serve out of out of nowhere that's being nails isn't it and yet being able to to produce it and yet impressive that as much experience as Sviantek has just as we've been saying she she didn't have experience of being in such a big battle in a grand slam final you know she had the advantage over mukova of getting over the line in a grand slam final but this was also a new experience for sviontek so i i felt like i didn't know what to expect from her obviously it's i'm not that surprised that she was able to come up with the goods but at the same time I didn't quite expect her to play that well under under that pressure. Did, she, did you feel that she was ripping it from Mukova at that stage to win the title? Or do you think that Mukova, in the end, It worried me that Mukova was serving second in that set. It's a big deal. It, well, I was looking ahead thinking, once she got broken back, she's going to have to start serving to stay in this here. And when there's a experience deficit that worries me um, especially when you start missing first serves you know you go you go love 15 down you miss your first serve suddenly you're two three points away from going out which it just feels different on the score line to 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 being ahead serving score to get ahead pressure they always score score pressure, talk about yeah. it don't they? Um, I, yeah I think I think broadly I do think that Shontek took it from her I don't think Mukovic did a whole lot wrong okay she she she'd love to have have had a few more first serves but but basically I think Mukovic and she said this herself proved to herself that and to all of us she's good enough to win a grand slam she's a good enough tennis player she was right there with Shontek today on her least favorite surface on Shontek's favorite court in the world 
and and straight after she'd beaten the world number two and the best player in the world this year, Rina Sabalenka. Mm. And that was that was incredibly tough to have to play Sabalenka and Sviontek back to back. And she especially tough on somebody whose body traditionally falls apart after sort of forty minutes of tennis. <laughs> generally Bloody speaking, good sign, isn't it? She's, she's played got seven this. matches in two weeks a lot of them gruelling under intense stress that she's never experienced before and she's strapping free this is just a day of great celebration for (laughs) tennis honestly this is what we've wanted for so long talking about strapping the uh the first question in the press conference to Iga Sviantek was more or less what I was going to ask, except that it was slightly contextually different. I was going to ask about the achievement of winning in a classic or in a struggle versus the the freewheeling to the title that she's done in previous years to, to, to try to get her to compare those two. And she did say, it's you know, it's difficult to compare, but I am proud of myself. But then she put it into a context of what she's had going on leading up to this tournament... And let's not forget, she was a set-all and two games all with Elena Rybakina in Rome when she pulled up lame. And, well, we didn't know how bad that was at the time. Um, I, I, I thought that she'd be okay. Um, a, a bit like when Djokovic feels something and he decides to, decides to preserve, you know, and, and, and make sure that everything's right for when he really needs it. And, uh, and and but there's clearly been a managing process going on backstage. You know, she she paid massive tribute to her physical trainer for getting her to this point so that she could play like this. We we will never know, and you never really know how bad it it is in those situations. But I got the sense that the that this has been just a completely new experience for her, winning a Grand Slam, not being physically in the best shape in the world. Um, but you couldn't really see that on the court. She, she looked as good as ever. Her movement, astonishing. Carolina Mukova plays tennis match being the less injured player. Shocker. <laughs> Genuinely was the case this time. Mm. And uh, yeah. about time, I suppose. I feel like we need to form a sort of prayer circle for good health for Carolina Mukova going forward. Because that's all, that has always been what's held her back. And we've always... And yet, at the same time, we've never really known how good she could be because we've just not seen it. But it's always been an eye test, hasn't right, it? But, yeah. But this two weeks has confirmed that she is. We that were good. right all along. Right. I, I've tended to think of her being amazing by rumour, almost. <laughs> like because I don't feel like I've ever watched enough of her tennis to really, and that's that's on me to some degree. But I mean, even when you look at the highlights of the 2019 final in Prague that she played against Iga Swiatek, there's a four-minute video where Mukova is a wild card who's 114 odd in the world. Swiatek's a qualifier who's 95 in the world. Everything looks the same. They're mm-hmm. just four years younger. They look the same as they do now. And apparently, and Swiatek regards tells us that it's one of the first tournaments she ever played on the WTA tour, and and she was. In tears, absolutely inconsolable when she lost the match on match point. And um, Mukova comes around the net and consoles her. It's an amazing moment. Um, but, but I don't feel like I've ever given enough attention to Mukova's game to, to properly take it in. And that, that's why I said about the clay, it's been lovely to do that. And my 
my appetite to see her now on grass in particular, where she's been a quarter finalist at Wimbledon, is yeah, is a couple, couple of times I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really pleased by the way she was talking about the upcoming grass court season in press earlier, despite this loss and the clay being so fresh. I was worried she would sort of say, "God, I can't, I can't really think about." grass right now you know ask me again in a week or something like that but I felt like she was thinking yeah I've proven to myself I'm really good and I way prefer grass yeah and they're both so interesting as test cases for the next month aren't they what's going to happen to these two players on grass I wanted to ask her if you played the match on grass today at Wimbledon on centre court do you think you'd have won? Well, I think it's a great question. And, and I ask you, which of these two players do you think right now you would expect to have the better Wimbledon? I mean, grass court game-wise, I think Mukova is ahead of Sviontek. Agreed. It, I think it's. I think there are questions about how Mukova bounces back from this. I mean, we don't know. She doesn't know how she's going to feel after losing such a close Grand Slam final she was so close to winning that today but you know if, if they were to play at Wimbledon game to game I think I would back Mukova on the on the grass over Sviontek it's just the sort of confidence that Sviontek's got might see her do better at Wimbledon I don't know I, I, I guess I back Mukova to to come back from this well and I think she's a real threat at Wimbledon I really really do yeah, having seen that match today and seeing how Mukov is talking about that match today, gutted as she is, if they played on centre court tomorrow, I think Mukova goes out there thinking, crikey, I was a whisker away from beating you on my least favourite surface and your favourite. I've got this. Mm. I do. And I, and I think that belief could be the key, along with the fact that she's bloody good on grass. I think... I think I'd back Mukova. Very interesting. Uh, here's where I stand. I think that Mukova has the better suited game to grass at the moment. But I think it's in there for Iga Svantec. I think she has the ability to convert this clay court and hard court game onto grass. I just think it hasn't happened yet. I do too. The problem is the grass court season is so short. Mm. Yeah. And I want Iga Svantec to enjoy winning this French Open and every French Open she wins I because of the way she plays her tennis existing in this tunnel this bubble I I don't know what celebrating looks like for her but I want her to enjoy it and not just have to Mm. move on to the next achievement but doing the French Open Wimbledon double kind of requires you to to not do that to not let go to continue in the tunnel here's here's where i think she'll end up doing better this time than last year when she we watched her lose to elise corner on court number one it was the match before the kirios sits pass match so it was that middle saturday it was all well, maybe it was middle weird. sunday it was i can't remember it was a bonkers day that was but there was a, you know how i often talk about Svante being on that knife edge between 
the pressure that pushes her to her limits and makes her play out of her mind, and then the pressure that sends her just the other side, and it all comes crashing down. It all came crashing down in that match against Corne, who did a great job of inducing that. But, I mean, I don't think I've seen a player of that ability miss that many shots in a second set as she did that, or a third set. I can't remember when it finished exactly. I don't think, now that Svantec is, is, is relieved of that streak on her shoulder that she had last year, yep. that's not yeah. there. I, I think agree. that's big. I she, think the streak was a huge factor in that defeat. I'm not saying yeah. she would have gone on to win that Wimbledon. I think almost she probably wouldn't have done. Yeah, she but was, I do think the streak She was looked strange. at the end of her, limit, her tether. Mm. You know, she was fried. I don't think she's going to be fried this time. Now, how you prepare after... As you were saying about the celebrating, when do you rest? When do you train? It's really tough. She, and she was asked to sort of describe her emotions at the end of the match, and she sort of described a bit what she did, but the, the first sort of feeling that she expressed was tiredness. Mm. And I do think, you know, she said she hasn't been home since Stuttgart. I do think those, those two-week Masters events now, or WTA yeah. 1000 events... I think they're pretty grueling as well. She's spoken she about has. that, and yeah. I think I think not having the streak is a big difference to last year. Absolutely, I think she never saw herself as the best player on grass, and yet she was protecting this incredible streak. And it it almost felt like she was out to be got a bit at Wimbledon, yeah. like like someone was going to go after her. And Cornet and was just an absolute Cornet. nightmare yeah. opponent. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, with a better draw and, with, and without that streak, maybe she can play herself in to the grass. Yeah. And, and honestly, maybe that's an exciting new Igor Svantec thing of her playing a bit, a bit freer, a bit looser, a bit not as the favourite. You know, I think last year at Wimbledon, she was playing almost defensively because she was protecting mm. that streak whereas now if she's got a bit less to lose possibly in her that own might words help her. playing not to lose rather than to win right yeah yeah maybe Wimbledon last year was where we saw that the problem kind of the is first best time. of three tennis you get no time mm. it's a short season and they're short matches mm. you get no time mm. to to familiarise yourself and even more so when you're the French Open champion, I think Rafael Nadal and, you know, long before him, I know, I know Chris Evert and Martina Vratilova, but, it, it, but recency bias, Rafael Nadal has normalised doing well at both in our minds. It's not normal. No. It is not. You shouldn't, no matter how good a tennis player, it's not normal for anyone to do the double. Yeah. I don't think that is something exceptional. Yeah, just looking at um, the grass court schedule leading up to Wimbledon, I've just had a quick look at Berlin, and Irina Sabalenka and Elena Rabakina are both down to play that. At the moment, Igor Sviantek is not on that list, and I can't see her on any of the uh, on Eastbourne, certainly. And last year, I don't think she played any grass court tournaments no. leading into Wimbledon, Nothing. which which I understood, you know, to have a rest. Novak Djokovic has often done it that way too. But I do wonder whether maybe she might just try to get a week somewhere as a wild card. Or I, I think if she is totally committed, if she has the space in her mind to commit to tackling grass, 
she needs to be playing a warm-up tournament. Um, Djokovic can get away with not doing doing that now. Best of five helps. Too, that it, it? Best of five helps. Him being quite possibly the greatest player of all time helps. Quite possibly the greatest <laughs> grass court player of all time. And his years on the tour. I don't think he could have got away with that on grass in his in his early days this is a different kettle of fish maybe she'll in 10 years time maybe she'll be rocking up at Wimbledon winning it without any preparation I would not put that past her at all and I also completely understand if she just doesn't have the bandwidth right now to do what's necessary but I do think if she really wants to make herself a favourite at Wimbledon she needs to be playing a warm-up event. Grass is a very particular skill. And yeah. uh, yes, everything about the streak, her being having a target on her back, being there for a, the taking last year, all of that is true. She could get lucky. She could go a lot deeper without a warm-up tournament. I'd be really surprised if she won it without a warm-up tournament this year. Really surprised. Yeah, I think so too. And in particular... I think the developments of Rabatkina and Sabalenka make a difference there. Like I think I think last year she sort of felt like the favorite for Wimbledon just because of the street she was on and the fact that she seemed to be streets ahead of everyone else on mm. on tour. Of course Sabalenka wasn't allowed to play Wimbledon last year. She is this year. Rabatkina has been brilliant all season and is the reigning champion. Jabur is obviously last year's finest. It just feels like so many more players who are ahead of Sviantec on grass at the moment. And honestly, look, this was an amazing final. And Karolina Mukova tested Igor Sviantec exactly the way I wanted to see someone tested Igor Sviantec. I do slightly come away from this tournament thinking I would have liked to have seen Sviantec play Rabatkina. Obviously, mm. Rabatkina had to withdraw, so unfortunately, I would have liked to have seen her play Arena Sabalenka. But I think Igor Sviantec is so good on clay and so good, particularly here at Roland Garros, that she is going to have some years where her rivals fall away and she wins this thing and she's going to have some years where she does have to get through those best players but I just have such faith that she is always going to be here at Roland Garros you know, like, there might be the odd year like some, somebody whose statue right. is lurking somewhere yeah. over our she, shoulder I know she's feeling know, inevitable here or, or the yeah. player who handed her the trophy to and me. exactly exactly and I know that you know she's only got three I know that sounds potentially premature but this is just my opportunity to brag about the fact that I sort of did a bit of a stat earlier. It's not, it's not you even did. really a Go stat. Go for it, Catherine. Go on. Well, it just she's twenty. She's just turned twenty-two. She turned twenty-two during this tournament, winning three majors at the winning three of the same major by twenty-two. Serena didn't do that. Venus didn't do that. Establishing that kind of stranglehold on one Grand Slam at this young age—that is. Nadal like mm. um, Martina Hingis did it at the Australian Open but no one's done it in the women's game since Martina Hingis and that was in Australia obviously Nadal did it here but it is rare it is rare that feeling of she's 22 and 
body permitting, it's almost impossible to see her not being a factor here every year for the next decade. Her game is perfect on the surface. And uh, I mentioned the woman who handed her the trophy. Chris Everett is the, the one we're talking about, who I think won seven French Open titles and had those, some of those crazy clay court stats. Madame Chris Everett. Yes. As she was Neither finalist referenced her in their speech. And I do, you know, I know, look, they've got to remember sponsors. They've got to remember to do all, all the thanking. I know there's a laundry list of things that you right have there. to remember in one of the most emotional and overwhelming moments of your life I don't want to I don't want to come down on them too hard but it's Chris Everett and she's just given you the trophy and come on yeah it it was disappointing yeah it's a a shame that they that that didn't happen that it didn't click Um, and and actually I thought Mukovas said was asked about what Chris Everett had said to her and she Mm. said I kind of want to keep that to myself because I'm not sure she'd want to share that, that. Was and, nice, I, and I yeah. dare say that I dare say it was quite something it was nice but it was also god damn I really want to know what Chris Abbott said <laughs> oh, to yeah. Carolina Mukovic. but I mean you know it was also incredibly moving mm. to see Chris Everett out there and looking amazing you know just so cool she was <laughs> I <laughs> cried when she walked on yeah court, well she's had a, a hell of a year and she's had really bad ill health and uh, you know we just just chuffed to see her back and it's funny you know I, I i she only knows me to sort of say hello to her. i think she just recognizes that there's this massive bloke who tends to be around at the tournaments <laughs> and she doesn't she wouldn't know my name i'm sure but when she ran past she sort of she's got a comment about what she should it was the end of the second set it's gone seven five one set all she goes some matcher and she's running <laughs> off like this you know and she just Aww. she wants to engage about the tennis mm. And this is the thing with the champions. They want to be around the tennis. Chris Everett and Martin Navratilova, yes, they've got work and, and it's, it's, it's lucrative and all the rest of it. But they, they, don't, the they don't need it. They love it. They love it. And, and, and the fact that they're embraced and brought onto the stage. You know, I've, I've got a lot of complaints about the French Open over the last two weeks from a, an organizational standpoint even despite the fact that I know, I know in elements of it they, they, they do a great job, but the, 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 the looking after of champions, the embracing of champions on those stages in the finals, I love so much. And, uh, and I'm so happy they brought back the two 40-year champions, Chris Everett from 40 years ago, I think it was her final mm. one, and Yannick Noah will be tomorrow, who, you know, we got a chance to do an hour-and-a-half interview with him and if ever you, if there's one interview you ever get to hear, it, listen to him. It's That's just, a very royal we. It was David, and it was sensational. He he he'll move you like few others, and uh, and I'm really pleased that he's coming back. Well, Chris Everett walking out onto Chatrier today in a pink trouser suit with high top trainers moved moved me. What an absolute queen she is! Just wonderful to see her back, giving out that that trophy um you mentioned the men's final david we got a men's final to talk about before we talk about it shall i tell you about a certain premium hospitality and experience provider i think you should <laughs> is it on location it is <laughs> right, no way. Cool. do you know of any others 
<laughs> Don't tell me if you do. Uh, yes, because, of course, the tennis podcast throughout Roland Garros 2023 is brought to you in association with On Location, Cation, the, the premium, premium hospitality, hospitality and experience provider. Thank you very much. On Location is the official tour operator for the BNP Paribas Open at Indian Wells. We were there in March. We hope to be back there next March. But we can tell you that if you would like to be there next March, then you can be. Via Steve Fogel's International Tennis Tours, their packages for the BNP Paribas Open in 2024 are now on sale. So if you'd like to go in style, which can confirm is the only way to go to Indian Wells. I mean, I don't, I think, I don't think anything not in style is available in Indian Wells. You only have to look out the window and it's in style. Yeah. Uh, and experience one of the most spectacular settings to watch tennis, staying in four or five star accommodation, getting great tickets to watch the tennis, access to a hospitality suite to relax in between matches. Go to toursfortennis.com forward slash podcast thank oh, you very much well done, Matt. Matt tours yeah. the number four tennis.com <laughs> forward slash podcast and go to the welcome to paradise section last little bit on Indian Wells for you before we move on to preview the men's final will Sitsidosa make it to Indian Wells 2024 will all the hordes of <laughs> listeners booking their tickets for Indian Wells get to see Sitsidosa in the flesh, in the excruciating, oversharing flesh. So this is Stefano Sitsipas and Paolo Badosa having a relationship and... Do you have your doubts, David? I don't know anything about because it, Because people can't see air quotes <laughs> on the radio. And it's being um, portrayed to the world. Mm. I mean, I must say, everything I've learned about... Sitsidosa has been against my will. <laughs> you say that. There's an unfollow well, button, Matt. <laughs> but he was holding up his phone earlier. Have you, you seen this? Seen this from Sitsidosa? I mean, I hadn't. It was blasted in my face. I mean, they've gone from like the softest launch of all time, changing their Spotify profiles, that it took some incredible tennis Twitter detective work to figure out. <laughs> <laughs> to the hardest launch and every time I open my phone it's a new photo, a new video it's a lot and mm. I don't know, I guess I would be surprised if they made it to Indian Wells Honestly <laughs> honestly worrying what tomorrow brings for Sitsidosa I feel like I'm like, in a new dimension If they ramp up another level of PDA with just watching soft porn on Instagram <laughs> What's your dimension? What are the dimensions of your dimension? Well Sits of Hassan Barossa. It's a, it's like two days ago, I, I would have laughed you out of town, and now I feel like I have far too intimate a, mm. an idea of what Sits of Hassan Barossa look like as a mm. couple. And, and, and who is doing the filming? Mm. Someone big question. So, so someone Important. made the made the great point that it can't be Petros because apparently he's playing a challenger. Because <laughs> he was my first. Um, yeah, me suggestion. too. Yeah. yeah, Petros. Imagine asking your brother to film you while you snog your girlfriend in a tennis in a swimming pool. I would put nothing past that family. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know whether to advise people to follow Sitsidosa or not. Should they? We are for work. 
we <laughs> if you want to we need to be up it's, to date on it for these important updates these important updates it's on your head okay so will they sweepstake are they making it to a new miles 2024 <laughs> no no well, so. you, dear listener, can do what Sitsidosa can't and make it to Indian Wells 2024, <laughs> courtesy of On Location, the premium hospitality and experience Rem- provider. provider. Well, they'll be there playing the tournament, but they'll, <laughs> well, have, maybe. they'll have unfollowed each other on Instagram. Sitsidosa <laughs> <laughs> account will cease to exist. Yeah. <laughs> we can find no, tr- no record of that account. Mm. <laughs> Milos Raonic will tweet that he's gutted about the end of Sitsidosa <laughs> just as he did about the end of Jem's life. But then they came back. Who did that? Milos Raonic. Who's co- also who's, back? Com- who's coming, doing his own comeback he's in next the draw, week. In there's, a to, and Bosch. there's a lot. There's a lot to take in. What's it got in. to do with him? <laughs> he's a sensitive guy, David. Mm. I'm glad he's making a comeback. By the way, when you him. did the. I had this incredible moment of secondhand embarrassment today when someone did that in the crowd and no one went, Ali! It was dreadful. I mean, that's got to be the first time... to leave the stadium. That should be Matt's stat. The first time it's ever happened was today, next to Matt. It was awful, wasn't it? It was really... God, I'd be devastated. I'd be thinking about it every day for the rest of my life. (laughs) Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or on your smart TV in HD. Sounds great. There's genuinely nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere. And can I just sit and watch court shows in Longland all day? You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. So, tomorrow... Amongst other things, and I'll talk you through the other various finals that will be coming up tomorrow and the ones we've seen today, but let's share our thoughts and feelings about Kasper Ruud against Novak Djokovic. Just a Kasper Ruud standing between Novak Djokovic and what would be the clubhouse lead in the Grand Slam race and quite possibly the the ultimate lead Mm. in the Grand Slam race. I'll go to our... Grand Slam race expert first Matt I mean Novak Djokovic has never had the outright lead he's never had 
more Grand Slam titles than Rafael Nadal. He can he can achieve both of those things on Rafael Nadal's court tomorrow, which is pretty staggering to think about. Alexander Zverev said in in the press conference that he feels like the fact that Novak Djokovic is going for those things is is good news for Kasparud and I know that Novak Djokovic I don't, I don't want to say froze but didn't play his best match when he was going for the calendar slam against Medvedev in He was also exhausted in the US Open he was at the end of his tether then wasn't he Novak Djokovic going for history and out to prove himself feels like the most dangerous Novak Djokovic yeah. to me. And Zverev's talking about normal people, right. isn't he? And Novak <laughs> yeah. Djokovic isn't. Right. right, and I just... I'm really struggling to see any outcome that isn't Novak Djokovic winning. He's, he's never lost a set to Kasper Ruud in four meetings. Uh, two of those on clay in Rome. And... Look, I think Nadal. Uh, I think Rude had a Nadal problem in the Roland Garros final last year. We've talked a lot about that. How he idolises Rafael Nadal, and it never felt like he had any chance. He, he he didn't bring his best self to that court. I I was a bit disappointed in in Kasparud in last year's French Open final. I thought he was better than that, and he he didn't show it. He played a really good U.S. Open final, I thought, against Carlos Alcaraz. And I expect him to play a really good match again tomorrow. But Novak Djokovic is so much better than Kaspar Ruud. And that is not the criticism of Kaspar Ruud. Almost everyone in the history of tennis has been worse than Novak Djokovic. And, he, and Novak Djokovic will have found a way to you know, assert his superiority over pretty much everyone that he's ever played. I just am finding it so hard to see any outcome that isn't Djokovic in three or four sets tomorrow. Yeah. I think Kasparu, I agree, will show up in a way that he didn't for last year's final. I just think that Novak Djokovic's will is pretty much the strongest thing I've ever seen in tennis. And I know we've seen it broken before. His will to win the calendar slam at the US Open in 2021 was potentially what cost him. Although I think that take probably is unfair to Daniel Medvedev. But certainly the fact that he failed to show up in that match was largely down to, to the occasion and, and the pressure of it. But that was a very unique pressure because it's it felt like a now or never. Of course, I'm now thinking about... And I think Novak Djokovic is thinking about Canada Slam 2023. Yeah. And if if he's able to rewrite history and make that... 2021 US Open final not have been a now or never that will be further evidence of, of the extraordinary will of Novak Djokovic and I I just can't see a way how that is bent or broken tomorrow I think if he does find a way to make 2021 not a now or never we are witnessing the greatest achievement in men's tennis history um, given the age of him um, but anyway, that's for another day. For this day, uh, I share your, your views. I don't think we're going to see Kasparud getting intimidated the way he was against Nadal. I mean, you only have to look at those hallway scenes hmm. where Nadal is doing shuttle runs right past his face. 
as he stood there waiting to play in his first ever Grand Slam title. I mean, how can you not be intimidated by that? And he was. He was, he was totally overwhelmed, and I felt for him. Don't think that's going to happen tomorrow. I think he shows up. I think he plays a good, hard match and has his moments. I do think he'll have his moments. I think he may even go a set up. I think that is Ooh. possible. I think that is possible, given that Stefano Sitsipas went a set-up. Um, two sets-up, in fact. Um, but I don't see him winning. I think Djokovic... He's, he's a great... He's a great for several reasons. And one of them is just an iron will, as you've been covering. I don't know how he does it, really. Uh, it's extraordinary. Another hard-hitting journalistic question for you. <laughs> Are those 23 jackets and T-shirts in the bags, ready to go? They're somewhere. Yep. They're somewhere. Yeah. Pre- sure. Pre-embroidered. He'll be Were one. they pre-embroidered before the team arrived in Paris? Or were, has an emergency embroiderer no, been they were prepared. They Pre- were pre- so, yeah. Somebody had been preparing them. Probably without... I'm pretty much sure without Novak's input... But somebody at Lacoste and the manager have been having a chat. That's my prediction. Yeah, I suppose especially this is a big one, isn't it? Especially this is France, it's Lacoste. You've got to be prepared. Yeah. Yeah. Also on the schedule tomorrow starting at 11.30am is the women's doubles final. And it is, amazing story actually here, Sue Shea of, you know, did... Did we ever think we'd see Su Wei Shea again yeah. fame? Wilderness. Yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> speaking of a slightly different wilderness, <laughs> her partner Wong Jin Yu, who was last seen waving to the crowd as she left the Philippe Chetrier court after being beaten love and love by Igish Fiontek. In the words of our mate Dave, can't believe she had the audacity to wave. <laughs> and then, <laughs> look, that was harsh of Dave because actually his anger was directed towards Elena Rabakina for withdrawing from the first match of the day uh, and denying him the glorious tennis that he should have got to watch on his one and only visit to Roland Garros in his lifetime Uh, but he took it out on poor old Wang Jinyu but incredible redemption arc for her with Dave <laughs> reaching the women's doubles final. Maybe we should get Dave back. <laughs> Alongside Su Wei Shea. They take on Leila Fernandez and Taylor Townsend, who are having some season in the doubles. I saw them play the Miami final against Jessica Pagula and Coco Goff, who've been the team to beat all year. Well, they beat them in the semi finals here. And how? Six love first set against those two. And we were texting, weren't, weren't we, with Mary Carrillo about. What a player Taylor Townsend is. And mm. I know we'd all love to see it on the singles court and hopefully that'll come one day, but at least it's happening on the doubles court. At oh. least there is a platform there where she is showing whoever wants to watch what she can mm. do. And they've been rocking the uh, sunglasses in press conference look. Mm. All, Victoria Azarenka style. Yeah, all tournament, <laughs> I think. It's just, Such a vibe. You mean business. <laughs> Uh, there is also, of course, the men's singles final. 2.30 is the time for that tomorrow. Novak Djokovic against Kasper oh, Ruud. Is it, I genuinely didn't know that. It's 2.30. Yeah, there it? was a surprise to me as well. That was me telling the listeners and 
telling you to? Because oh, it was three o'clock today, and yeah. yesterday it was two forty-five. Mm. That's quite useful information because I was, <laughs> yeah. especially because I got a commentary on it. <laughs> I assumed it was three o'clock. And uh, actually, no, there is a match on Longland tomorrow. It is the men's legends. I don't know if it's a final because there's it's been a very mix and matchy situation. But anyway, it's Yannick Noah. And Mansoor Barami. Oh, okay, I'm there. Against John McEnroe and Mats Volander. Wow. I actually didn't know that until I said it. Uh, That is 11.45. Okay, well. On Longlen. We're going to be there. And I'm going to be there. (laughs) On the French Open app, which I'm looking at right here, they don't have a photo of Yannick Noah. (laughs) (laughs) That cannot be real. It's a blank silhouette. (laughs) Do they have photos of the other legends? Yeah, yeah, all of them. Oh, my God. <laughs> He's going to be given the trophy. Guys. <laughs> 40 years since he won it, but... Yeah. Oh, no. There's photos of him all over the place. Like, the FFT definitely have photos of Yannick Noah. There's one over there of his cardboard cut out with his head missing, so yeah. people can take the photo of being Yannick Noah. <laughs> oh, yeah. my... Not ideal. <laughs> that feels like the biggest scandal of the French Open yet. <laughs> Right, other things that we saw today. Extraordinary scenes, first up on Chatrier. Tokito Oda, the second seed, beating Alfie Hewitt 6-1-6-4 to become, at 17 years of age, the youngest ever French Open champion in any discipline. Wow, goodness. I mean, you know, I, I think we saw him at the Australian Open. I mean, you, you, you're looking at a, a player there. He could... I mean, I'm heaping pressure on him here. But winning and doing what he's doing at this age, just imagine the numbers he might start to accumulate. 17 years and 33 days. Wow. Extraordinary. Unbelievable. He was born in 2006, I think. 2006. That makes me feel old. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, guys. Moving on. Um... He called it the happiest day of my career, which I would expect so at 17 years old. <laughs> um, and he has reached world number one, overtaking Alfie Hewitt with that win. And he desc- he said, two dreams come true. It makes it really interesting, particularly going into Wimbledon, because it's the one Grand Slam that's eluded Alfie mm. so far. Mm. And he... Sorry, Alfie, to bring this four up four times, times yeah. last and year. And he was so devastated. And he, and he just vowed that he would come back stronger. And I don't doubt that I've seen how hard that guy works, how much it means to him. And now you're looking at him having seen off one absolute all-time great because he's at the other edge of the end of the spectrum age-wise. And now in comes this young guy who who could deny him at the other end of the age spectrum. I mean... Yeah, I, look, it's good stuff, isn't it? Total biased view. I hope Alfie Hewitt gets to Wimbledon before. Oh, before you'd have to be the most cold takes over. fish alive to have seen his attempts to fail out uh, to serve out that um, title last year and yeah. not hope that he comes back and wins it one day. Shingo Kanida, wasn't it? Who who won his 648th Grand Slam title at the expense of um, Alfie Hewitt? Oh. Poor old Alfie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, incredible story there from the, from Takito Oda, world number one and a maiden Grand Slam champion. Also, news just in 
from Chatry, from Chatry with the roof on Ivan Dodig and Austin Krychek are the French Open champions 6-3-6-1. A beatdown for them over Sander Gilles and Jan Vliegen, the, the Belgian pairing in the final. We had a win for Lindsay Davenport and Admiesha Radvanska over Gisela Dulco and Gabriela Sabatini in what might have been a final who can say (laughs) (laughs) we don't don't really understand (laughs) they don't even know if they were playing a final or not same goes for Guy Forget and Fabrice Santoro and Natalie Deschi and Sebastian Grosjean Grosjean. all of them won today legends fun that's all we know legends matches the girls singles title was won by Elena Kornave the Russian player uh, same player that won the Australian Open singles title interesting what she's going to do now, whether she transition, you know, ordinarily you win Australia and French, it's like, oh, you're on for the calendar slam, but that's kind of not how it works in juniors, is it? It's kind of like you win a couple and it's sort of uncool to keep playing juniors <laughs> after that, isn't it? I know Germain Fils won three of the four, didn't he, in yeah. 2004, Andy Murray winning winning the one that he didn't. But, yeah, that's going to be interesting to see whether she she tries to make the transition. The boys' singles final was won by the conqueror of Darwin Blanche, and that is the Croatian Dino Prismic. Uh, for her, his first Grand Slam juniors title, 6-1-6-4 for him, over the Bolivian Juan Carlos Prado Angelo. So it'd be interesting to follow his progress going forward. Prismich, we had a defeat for Korneva and her Japanese partner Saito in the girls' doubles fi- final to TC Grant and Courtney, uh, no, Clervy Ngunu, who I believe uh, is quite a hotly tipped American youngster, a winner in the girls' doubles final. Dida de Hoot won her 18th. Grand Slam singles title beating Yui Kamiji 6-2 6 love in the women's and wheelchair singles and her 103rd I believe singles win in a row unbelievable oh she, she's now halfway to the calendar slam for a third year in a row oh my god <laughs> fantastic stick that in your pipe and smoke it Novak <laughs> unbelievable yeah absolutely incredible and it has been drawn to my attention I was sort of reading the order of play live yesterday and I didn't quite process the fact that the men's wheelchair singles final was first up on Chateau brilliant so pleased to see that on the main court the women's wheelchair singles final was on court 14 and don't love that but congratulations to Didier de Hoot. The men's quad wheelchair singles final was won by Niels Vink. The top seed over second seed Sam Schroeder. 3-6-6-4-6-4 thriller over there on court 14. And this one, Niels on wheels, does it again. Congratulations, Niels. And the wheelchair men's doubles final was won by Alfie Hewitt and Gordon Reed over Martin de la Puente and Gustav Fernandez. A victory for the top seeds over the second seed. So, oh, no, sorry, more from court 13. Andy Lapthorne and Donald Rampardi. Victors over Heath Davidson and Robert Shaw in the quad wheelchair doubles final. And I knew I was missing something. Victory in the women's wheelchair doubles final for Yui Kamiji and Keiji Montagnier, a first Grand Slam title 
for her, who we know a little bit about, don't we? Um, and we know that she's absolutely thrilled. South African player, uh, young, playing alongside Yui Kamiji's the top seeds. They've beaten Dida de Goot and her Argentine partner, I believe, in the women's wheelchair doubles final, Maria Florencia Moreno. And as established from prior comments, beating Dida de Goot in anything is pretty much impossible in wheelchair tennis right now so congratulations to Kimiji and Montagnier yeah no it's a fantastic story I, I got to interview Andy Lapthorne actually for the BBC after his victory and he's had quite a week because he's a West Ham fan uh, in oh, football wow. and he follows them home and away and he has been doing for 15-20 years he's seen them losing playoff finals and cup finals and he's never seen them win he actually said that he He'd got a ticket to the final and he was just hoping that the referee would schedule him the next day and he said, I would go to Prague myself and come back for my match. And unfortunately, the schedule didn't work out. So we had to watch his brother. His brother and his dad went with his ticket and his mates and, you know, he said, I was in tears in my bedroom, FaceTime and my family and just a massive moment for him. So uh, and then he's gone and backed it up winning the, the quad wheelchair doubles with a, a partner he'd never played bef- with before and he said he said it was really cool because he said I, I kind of got to have a bit of a leadership role being the, the older one he was new, he's new to the event but he cheered me up because I'm pretty negative and he got me upbeat up so it was really fascinating to hear the sort of the way these sort of partnerships work but I was really pleased for him big week for Andy Lapthorne yeah wow love that thank you david which brings us to a close of our penultimate roland garros daily podcast we will of course have a review show for friends of the tennis podcast we'll also be recording a q a show for friends of the tennis podcast they'll be available early next week if you'd like to become a friend the link to do that is in our show notes the link to sign up to our newsletter is in the show notes there are still more two still two more matt stats of 2023 Roland Garros to come so it's not too late Mm. to to get in on that action tonight's starts unfortunately with another apology oh this time I forgot Roger Federer (laughs) (laughs) what a low point you're the Roger Federer guy no life low point would you like to just update the listeners as to what the uh, what the stat was for anybody who I mean obviously everybody's getting the newsletter but just (laughs) and we got a lot of responses from people pointing this out. Mm. Anyway. Yeah, I would, I would love to say I was just testing the dear reader. And have you noticed that I've left out Roger Federer? But it was a genuine mistake. Uh, yeah. Novak Djokovic and Kaspar Ruud should stop listening now, if, <laughs> if he is listening. Novak Djokovic has never lost to a player, a right-handed player with a double-handed backhand at the French Open. He's only ever lost to left-handers or right-handers with a single-handed backhand. That is, uh, in in completed matches, in his very first French Open, he lost to, well, he retired against Correa. But, yeah, since then, it's been 
it's been right-handed, single-handed, backhands only, or but, left-handers. But that worked. That works with Roger Federer. Yes, but I just forgot to list Roger Federer. <laughs> oh, okay. So, but the stat was still accurate. The stat was accurate, but I forgot Roger Federer. He forgot the finger wag, mm. Catherine. He I forgot the 2011 victory yeah. for Roger Federer. Really, I remembered Marco Cecchinato, <laughs> and I forgot Roger Federer. <laughs> Bless him. And, and the, the, as these replies were just cascading into our <laughs> inbox I was just feeling terrible for Matt because he takes it to heart it, was kind of, was it goes without it was just, saying it was just showing your workings that was yes the stat was accurate the stat was correct, correct. he's still a legend everybody alright <laughs> we've both done great stats today Matt well I mean, done Matt, us. not Roger Federer he's also a legend <laughs> sorry I need to tell you about Phoebe our Roland Garros mascot, mascot. What a legend Phoebe has been over the course of this fortnight. I'll post another picture of Phoebe on our Instagram tomorrow for you. Well, for me to delight in and for you too as well. We have our mascots. And I've never been happier to tell you about this. <laughs> Hello, Xenia. We got some actual real life points today, you know, Xenia. 4 0. You know, points. There, was a, there was a few hairy moments where. <laughs> Carolina Mukova was a break-up in the third set and Catherine and I were almost going to have to record this podcast being below Reggie. In yeah, the Reggie and I were about to go and get 110 points each and then we got zero. Mm. Dark times, dark times. David, apologies to Maisie. Yeah, sorry Maisie, I'll, I'll work on it. Darwin, hello. <laughs> <laughs> we had Iga Shiontek in three. Good times billy jean also experiencing good times frolicking around my parents garden with rosie she is sponsored by billy jean king and alana kloss we have our executive producers and top folks jamie hannah and drew hello to you and we have shout outs matt we have peter carey in victoria british columbia canada all right, Peter. Hello, hey, Peter. Like the late, great Peter McNamara, who's very dear to our hearts. Mm. Absolutely. Former coach of Grigor Dimitrov, mm. of course. Um, He'd have been on your Dimitrov hype train. Oh, yeah. Days. He he loved Grigor. He was one of his yeah. early coaches, helped F- him transition. Figure, wasn't he? he really was, mm. and he loved Grigor. It truly did. And, uh, yeah, well, he's much missed. But, Peter, thank you so much for being a friend of the pod. And the late, great Peter Doohan. Yeah. The Becker Wrecker. Mm. That's right. The man who beat Boris Becker in 1987 and whom, uh, after Becker had won in 85 and 86, and whom came into the press conference afterwards, Becker, and said, uh, I lost the tennis match. Nobody died. Because that was, you know, 17-year-old coming and winning Wimbledon, defending it at 18, and then... Just looking unbeatable and then losing, I think, in around about round three. Amazing. That's the same genre as no big deal, no cry. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Peter. We've also got Sarah Gauchy-Carlton. Right, Sarah. Who is in Malta. And Sarah says, I worked on the tennis tour between 1992 and 2008 providing Cyclops. Wow! Whoa. She is so cool. That <laughs> dates it, what doesn't Cyclops it? Is, don't yeah, do you remember youth? Cyclops? I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> so 
basically, this was an electronic eye that was going, that was beaming a, I don't know, I imagined it to be a laser across the service line from the side of the court. And when you hit the ball out, it would go beep like this. Right? And everybody would, and you didn't have to have a line judge because Cyclops was the electronic eye. And it was always known for something that players would go over to and say, can you turn it off? doesn't work. Can you turn it off? And it did work. Did work, Sarah. I'm not I'm not slagging off your thing, um, uh, but there was always a a, a thing with uh, a video with Ilya Nastasi, who was seen on his knees, like eyeball to eyeball with with Cyclops to see if it was see if it was working or not, and see if anybody was in there. So that was that was Cyclops. So of its time. Yeah. Just the mention of Cyclops is wow. Just. It's one of these things that suddenly feels so long ago. Yes. That, oh, yeah. now that we've got Hawkeye and Hawkeye Live yeah. and all the rest of it, it's, it is hard to believe. But, I mean, it was yeah, it's ahead of its time in many ways, but uh, of its time, definitely. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah, thanks, Sarah. And finally, we've got Josh Bame. And Josh says that he is from Kansas City, which is in Missouri. Because downtown Kansas City is on the Missouri side of the border. Home of the Kansas City Chiefs. Yes, we don't like them. Oh, because you're a Bills fan and they just keep running into them and losing, don't they? Yeah, we don't like the Chiefs. No. Um, But we do like Josh. We love Josh. Yeah, Yeah. Josh is a top bloke. Josh attended the (laughs) French Open last year, completing his own career Grand Slam. Oh, congratulations, Josh. That's amazing. Uh, and just while we're on that subject of attending the French Open, I just have an honorary shout-out for Natasha that mm. David met earlier. Natasha is from Sydney, Australia, and after hearing David's audio diary of his first French Open here last year, booked herself a two-week trip to Roland Garros for 2023. Uh, and David stumbled upon Natasha earlier she's been here all fortnight and this is the first time we've run into her Matt and I haven't had the chance but I believe she's going to be on site tomorrow David was so overwhelmed by the moment that sort of didn't think to I said why didn't you text us we'd have come out to meet Natasha but um I think you were quite quite yeah Uh, quite overwhelmed by the moment we've had uh, we are privileged and honored and moved to be able to speak to a lot of listeners of the tennis podcast when we're at these tournaments and and people say the loveliest things but i don't think i've ever felt quite like that before i, I popped out just to see what the weather was like because <laughs> <laughs> you know we're sitting under an umbrella because it's it's gray skies up above and natasha just came and ran over and and just said that to me and uh, i don't know how to say it without sounding like an idiot but you know when i recorded that audio diary it was for friends of the podcast, I mean, I just did it on a whim that morning. I came back before you guys were even up, didn't I? I was going to say that it was an incredible David feat. That mm. I said, oh, morning, David. Yeah. How's it, your morning been? And you said, oh, I've been to Roland Garros already. <laughs> what? Yes. Well, I just... And the reason I did it is because I was at my first ever French Open. Mm. And I, I'd experienced a lot over the last two weeks before it. I hadn't been at a Grand Slam well, since before the pandemic, and I'd missed the Australian Open because of ill health, because I'd got long COVID, and I really I was going through quite quite a tough time for a few months there. And this was me at my first Grand Slam back, 
and for it to be this one which I'd never been to and never really assuming that I would be that into it really until I got here and then to find that it's the most wonderful thing in the world and that I was so happy that I'd managed to make it and um yeah so I I wandered about the grounds for about 15 20 minutes just talking about my memories of this place from watching on TV for 30 years and then finally being here um and Natasha tells me that she heard that and decided that she wanted to come um and I just I do find I do find that incredibly moving um and I I I couldn't be happy to have heard it and to have met Natasha and uh, I really thank her for, for coming and saying hello. Mm. And Matt and I would like to meet Natasha. So this mm. is actually this a, very, is a call. This is a selfish shout out to say, Natasha, um, please get in touch. And if not, uh, I think you said to David, you'll be watching on the big screen tomorrow, which is, we can see it from where we're sitting here, surrounded by uh, the Four Musketeers, the statues of the Four Musketeers. Uh, so if you don't get in touch, we will wander out at some point tomorrow and try and find you and say hello um but if not please know that we're very touched and your story meant a lot to us and david in particular and it really it hits home for us how how wonderful you all are as listeners quite frankly and um with the exception of the odd person on the internet we are (laughs) so lucky and privileged with the amount of warm feedback that we get from you um not to mention how many of you support us as friends of the tennis podcast to be here in the first place so thank you so much for that we hope you've enjoyed these french open podcasts we still have one more to come one more daily to come the review show the q a show and then we're into the grass yeah <laughs> and it on. keeps on coming Let's do it. so thanks for listening <laughs> we'll speak to you tomorrow 